Hello, plant family. Pastor Jeremy here. I want to thank you so much for joining us on this worship gathering online. Whether you're watching this on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Thursday afternoon or even a Tuesday in the middle of the night, you are here in the right place and at the right time. No matter when you're watching this, this is the right place and the right time. I can't tell you how many times I've been at the wrong place at the wrong time. Let me share with you a story. Back when I was in high school, I was part of this business club in school. And every year we would take this, we would go up to this conference in upstate New York with all these students. And as you can imagine, anytime you have a ton of teenagers traveling with minimal supervision, things may not end up well. So we traveled up to this city and we stayed in this re really super nice hotel in an upper level floor. And in that floor that we were staying at, I was staying in the upperclassmen room. I was a junior at the time. The junior, some juniors and, and seniors, we were staying together in one room. And the room next to us had freshmen in it. And between our rooms, as you know, in some hotels, they have a door in between them. So there was a door that was open connecting both of our rooms. Now, from some of you, if you remember your high school experiences, uh, if you're a teenage boy who's a freshman, sometimes the, the, the parts of your, your, your brain that, that deal with logic and making good choices and, and rationale haven't fully yet formed yet. And that was the case for us on that trip. Uh, in the middle of the night, we were the, the upperclassmen guys, we were playing cards, having a great time, but the freshman guys were up to no good. So in the middle of the night, as we were hanging out, we started to hear this, these huge boom sounds coming from outside in the city. It was like And we were, we were freaking out. We had no idea what was going on. And then we went across the, the room to the other, uh, the freshman guy's room, and we realized what they were doing was they, they were filling up plastic bags filled with water and chucking them over the balcony onto the, the, the street on the ground. And it sounded like bombs going off. And if you can imagine, within not even a minute, half the police department and fire department from that city came to that hotel and came upstairs. Just like that, immediately we all went to sleep and turned off the lights. But then all of a sudden, there was a knock on the door. We were at the wrong place at the wrong time. We had nothing to do with this. So the police came in, and they knew that the, the door was open between our rooms, and they started interrogating us, and, and we were freaking out. But thankfully, the story ends up OK. Uh, none of us got in trouble. I didn't get in trouble. And the advisor of our group just kind of passed it off and, and didn't make any mention of it, so, we, so none, our school wouldn't get in trouble. So, that was my story of being at the wrong place at the wrong time. There have been a few times maybe where I've been at the right place at the right time, not many. I remember a few years ago, I went to Dunkin' Donuts two minutes before it was closing, and I bought a coffee and a donut, and the manager was so nice that he gave me another free donut. That was the best day of that week. I, I felt like, wow, I was in the right place at the right time. I know for, for many of us today going through COVID-19 and dealing with all these things that are going on, we often may feel that we are at the wrong place at the wrong time in dealing with our school, in dealing with our work. 
Maybe there are some of you here today that wanted to start a business or a new ministry, and you're finding yourself in this season of pandemic that you are at the wrong place at the wrong time. Or maybe you were thinking about retiring, but you are now in the wrong place and the wrong time for that. Today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the story of a young orphan Jewish girl who faced injustice her whole life, her entire life, and was brought to a moment of crisis. What she thought was the wrong place and the wrong time. She had to make a decision and take a risk that would change the course of her life and could also change the course of the survival of an entire group of people. Once she stepped forward, she realized that there was no going back. And this is the story of Esther. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Esther chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Esther chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And we're going to read through the story of Esther. So uh, get comfortable, grab your Bible, hang tight, put on your seatbelt. Here we go. Esther become, becomes queen. But after Xerxes' anger had subsided... He began thinking about Vashti and what she, what she had done and the decree he had made. So his personal attendant suggested, let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the fortress of Susa. Haggai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, will see that they are all given beauty treatments. After that, the young woman who most pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was very appealing to the king. So he put the plan into effect. At the time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa, whose name was Mordecai, son of Jair. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and Shimea. His family had been among those who, with King Jehoiachin of Judah had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. As a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa, and placed in Haggai's care. Haggai was very impressed with, with Esther and treated her kindly. Let's jump to verse 15, chapter 2, verse 15. Esther was a daughter of Abihail, who was Mordecai's uncle. Mordecai had adopted his younger cousin Esther. When it was Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted the advice of Haggai, the eunuch in charge of the harem. She asked for nothing except for what he suggested, and she was admired by everyone who saw her. Esther was taken into King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. Now let's jump to chapter 3, verses 8. Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, 
Haman is actually one of the enemies of the Jews. He hated Mordecai and wanted to kill the Jewish people. He approached King Xerxes and said, There is a certain race of people scattered throughout all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it, please, if it please the king, issue a decree that they be destroyed, and I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government, administration, government administrators to be deposited in the royal treasury. The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said, the money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit. So on April 17th, the king's secretaries were summoned, and a decree was written exactly as Haman dictated. It was sent to the king's highest officers, the governors of the respective provinces, and the nobles of each province in their own scripts and languages. The decree was written in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with the king's signet ring. Dispatches were sent by swift messenger into all the provinces of the empire, giving the order that all the Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated on a single day. This was scheduled to happen on March 7th of the next year. The property of the Jews would be given to those who kill them. Chapter 4. When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out to the city crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was a great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, they wept and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So Hathach went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the dis destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathach a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hathach to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathach to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathach returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathach to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathach gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape all other Jews. 
escape when all other Jews will be killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But if you and your, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such, just such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, day, n- night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So what do we have going on here? Just to give you a little bit of background about this book. Esther is the only book in the Bible in which the name God is not mentioned. God is not mentioned in this book at all. But that is because even though his name is not mentioned, his hand is written throughout the story. His fingerprints are orchestrating this entire story and everything behind the scenes. Now, this story is about the Jewish exiles that are, that are living in Susa in the kingdom of Persia. The Jewish people had been exiled there during the, the Babylonian Empire. And later, the Persian Empire came and overtook them. Some of the Jews by that point had returned back to Jerusalem, but there was still a remnant of people, of Jewish people, that were living in that city, and they were the minority. King Xerxes was, was the king of the empire at that time, and his original queen was Queen Vashti. This queen was disposed because she, she disrespected the king, and the king's officials put together this, this task force to put together a beauty pageant to help find a new queen for this king. So, where are we headed this morning? There are three things that we're going to be learning. First, Live out your identity as God's child. Second, remember that your life is written into God's master plan. And third, say yes to God. Say yes to God in God's place and in God's time. So first, live out your identity as God's child. You see, Esther was born into this this situation of extreme injustice. She was exiled out from her land. Her parents were probably killed. She was an orphan and she was made a slave in this foreign land. And as, as a virgin, she was recruited to be in this beauty contest to find a new queen. Essentially, what was, what was happening was that she was being trafficked into this, this role of being one of the king's slaves to, to sleep with him. And she won the king's affection to become queen. Now, you might say, wow, this is great. It must have been a great thing to become queen. But, but basically, she was just an ornament. In that kingdom, in those days, the, the queen was not of equal value to the king. And she did not have freedom or any choices. But what we do know is this, is that the favor of God was resting upon Esther. The favor of God was resting upon Esther. Now, Esther was famously known for her outward beauty. But there was something deeper, more valuable inside her. Something so deep and something so intangible, and that was this. It was that the favor of the Lord was resting upon her. 
Others around her couldn't fully identify it, but, but they were impressed by her, and, and everyone around her was too. The eunuch that, that was in charge of her uh, was so impressed that she treated her kindly and gave her special treatment. And later, we also found out that, that the king found special favor with her and declared her the queen. Esther <coughs> remembered her identity as God's child, despite the injustice that she faced. And how, how do we know this? During this entire time, she, she stayed humbled and listened to the instructions of Mordecai, her uncle. Step by step, she followed them. She kept her identity as a Jewish person secret because she did not want to give up her faith and her religion. She did not want to give up her faith in the Lord. Remember, the, the whole point of these ancient empires exiling the people out of their, their homeland was because they wanted, to, to, they wanted them to lose their identity. They wanted them to lose their religion and adopt a new Persian identity, a new Persian culture, a new Persian religion. So then they would be adapted and be no longer a threat. Now, there might be some of you today who are watching and who, who are listening to this. And you may be watching and listening and you realize that, you know what, maybe you have had a rough go at life. Maybe you, your childhood was also filled with so much abuse and injustice and brokenness. And as an adult now, you are stuck in your life because your identity has been so much shaped by your circumstance or your upbringing from the past. Maybe you've taken on identities of being the outcast, being ugly, being insignificant, being unseen, or being undeserving of anyone's love, let alone God. Maybe there are some of you here today that, that, that are watching who, who have had a great childhood, but as an adult, you've made some really silly and stupid mistakes that have, have given you regrets and have set you back in your life spiritually, relationally, emotionally, or maybe even financially. And you think that those are the mistakes that, that, that define your life, making you feel like a failure, holding yourself back, leaving you undeserving of a second chance. But let me tell you something. If you are a child of God, do you believe that his favor rests upon you? If you proclaim that you are a child of God, do you believe that his favor rests upon your life? You see, Esther's beauty didn't come from what was on the outside. It came from within, knowing what she believed to be true about God, her father, and who she was as the father's child. Her beauty came from the way that she carried herself. She refused to sell out to the world. She refused to sell out to the Persian culture. She, she refused to be sell out to the Persian king and the Persian palace or even let the king define her. She, out of all the people that, that, that we've talked about, she had every reason to give up in her life. So much of her life was stripped away. She was stripped away of her innocence. She was stripped away of her freedom. She was stripped away of her choices. But she held on to the last thing that she was able to have the power to have ownership of, and that was her identity as a child of God. You know, Esther's real name in Hebrew was called Hadassah, 
and that means myrtle, or, or that was the name of, of a brush, of a, of a tree, or, or, or this type of bush that was filled with brushes and, and flowers and, and created all this, this fragrance. That, that plant with, with these flowers and this fragrance was a symbol of the promises of God's people to Israel. Esther held on to the promises of God because she knew that she was a child of God. And that brings us to our next point. If you are a child of God, your life is written into God's master plan. If you are a child of God, your life is written into God's master plan. What do I mean by that? How many of you out there are big fans of movies or books? If you're big fans of of either the movies or, or reading books... You may know that that you may have a favorite author or or favorite director. And every time you watch their movie or or read their book, you know who wrote the story. You see the fingerprints of of the creator all over the story with with a similar writing style or similar twists or, or, or similar metaphors and imagery. Now, although God was not mentioned in the book of Esther, his handprints are all over this story full of scenarios and twists that are not coincidences, but the hand of God orchestrating favor on the people that are surrounding him. Now, we'd already discussed that the favor of God was resting upon Esther. She went from being this young orphan from from exile all the way uh, over to becoming the queen of an empire. And this happened through all these, if you read the story, there were all these extraordinary circumstances. There were all these divine doors that were opened up for her. But God's favor was not just upon her, but God's favor was also upon Mordecai. Mordecai was divinely placed to be in the right place at the right time in many instances throughout the story. He was there at the right place at the right time. And in one instance that, that if you read through the book, you, you realize that, that, that he heard about an assassination plot to uh, this king, King Xerxes. And he quickly gave that information from that plot to Esther. And Esther was then able to expedite that information up to the king thereby saving the king's life. That that instance and and that passing of that information brought so much favor for for Esther and Mordecai and influence in the king's kingdom. God has been setting the stage for Esther and Mordecai to be in a place of influence where they could intervene. All they had to do is to remember their identity and to step in to obedience. Now, there may be some of you today watching that, that you feel like your, your life is just being lived in the mundane. You don't know why you are in this moment in life. You don't know what life, what meaning your life has, and you're, you're just spinning in circles. Right now, you may look at your life and, and think things just look grim and that you're stuck and, and, and everything is cloudy. But if you are a child of God, if you are a child of God, I guarantee you that the fingerprints of God are all over your life. I guarantee to you, if you look carefully and you look at all the, the dots of what you think are coincidences, all those dots connect together to be part of God's story. Even when you've made 
poor decisions, bad decisions, or good decisions, no matter which way you've gone to the left or the right, God has been dynamically moving through your story and bringing you to a place of favor and success because you are written into his master plan. Now, while Esther and Mordecai stayed obedient to God in this one snapshot, we only see this one snapshot of their life, God had been writing them into his grander story. You see, God is setting the stage for your obedience for an opportune time, God's time. So that brings us to our next point. Say yes to God in God's place and God's time. Say yes to God in God's place and God's time. Let's read Esther chapter 3, verse 13. Dispatches were sent by swift messenger into all the provinces of the empire, giving the order that all Jews... Young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated on a single day. This was scheduled to happen on March 7th of the next year. The property of the Jews would be given to those who killed them. So what do we have going on here? So, so we learned that, that Haman, uh, the, 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 the evil individual that was angry and jealous at, at Mordecai and wanted to kill all, all the Jewish people, he had tricked the king into issuing this decree that said that on March 7th, all Jewish people, young and old women and children, must be slaughtered and annihilated, and that all their property would be given over to the, the people that had killed them. Now, as you can imagine, this is, this is urgent and horrifying news. Mordecai hears this and he, 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 he's overwhelmed. Mordecai sends a message telling Esther that, that for her being in this role as a queen, that she has to do something. She has to plead with the king to have mercy on their people. But Esther responds first by being reserved and by saying this. She says that, that no one can appear in the, in the inner court without being invited. In fact, if someone shows up to the king's court without being invited, that person will die unless the king extends his scepter out to that person. And the king, she, she also mentions that the king has not even called her to come to his room or bedroom or to his, to his court in 30 days. And Mordecai replies by saying this. Chapter 4, verse 13. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made to be queen for just such a time as this. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, 
I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So what do we have going on here? All of a sudden, in this moment, Esther was in this crisis moment. She was in a Kairos moment. Time was running out, and she was the one that was placed in a place of influence. She realized that at this moment in time, all the random dots in her life were were finally connecting to this moment. And in that moment, she observed, reflected, and remembered who God was. She remembered that despite the circumstances of injustice that she had faced in her life, that she was a child of God. And because she was a child of God, she was able to respond in humility, obedience, and in faith. And because she remembered that she was a child of God, she remembered that the favor of God was resting upon her and that God had been actively involved in all the scenes of her life orchestrating this. She realized that God had written her story to bring her to this one point in time to save an entire remnant of people, but it would require a big risk. And the risk was this. The risk was was that it would be risking her own life to save many. Why was this a risk? We know that the king's previous queen, Queen Vashti, was, was banished for disrespecting the king. How much more worse would it be for for her to go and make a similar mistake, another wrong move? But Esther gave God her yes. Esther gave God her yes. And she did not give God her yes reluctantly or half-heartedly. She gave God her yes definitively. She decided to seize the moment and the opportunity, and she was ready for battle. How do we know this? She told Mordecai to tell the, the Jews that were living there to go and fast and to pray for her encounter with the king and that she would do the same. God's people Fast and pray. Fasting and praying is a form of of, of making a serious sign of battle. Esther gave God her yes, knowing that she may not make it back alive. It was a one-way mission. Esther gave God her yes, knowing that if she went in to see the king, and if she gave her yes to God, that there was no going back. By surrendering and saying yes to God. What she also realized later that, would ha- that had happened was that by saying yes to God, she wasn't just obeying God in, in, in something that God had asked her to do, but she was also inviting God to do a, a deeper and, and greater, deeper work of sanctification and transformation in her life. It was a two-way street. Let's find out what happened. Esther 5, verse 1 through 2. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace, just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. By taking the step of faith, Esther was welcomed by the king. And Esther gave the king this this request to have a banquet where both the king and Haman, the evil guy, would be present together. 
And at the banquet, Esther told the king about Haman's plot of, of tricking the king and, and passing this decree that would annihilate the Jews, including her. And when King Xerxes had heard that, she was, uh, he was furious and, and he said, who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Esther asked that, that, that her life and the life of her people would be spared. <laughs> so then the king acted very quickly and very swiftly. Haman was, was executed and Haman's property was given to Esther and Haman's position was given to Mordecai. But the story doesn't end there. Esther saying yes to God didn't just, just help everyone else, but Esther saying yes to God brought a, a deeper and greater level of sanctification in her life, transforming her to a person that was able to step further and further out into more and more boldness and take bigger risks. Sure, the king killed Haman, but, but that didn't solve the problem. So Esther approached the king again, now with even more boldness, and begged him to stop the decree. The king that then said that he couldn't stop a decree that was already given out. But he said he would pass another decree in which this would allow all the Jews to unite together and defend themselves from their enemies. That date of March 7th came and they did kill all of their enemies because God's favor was upon them. But what was going on inside Queen Esther's heart? She kept going through this deeper level of sanctification that, that she came back with even more boldness. She asked the king to have another day to defend themselves and to kill off all their enemies, not just March 7th, but then March 8th. So the Jews in the story were not just saved, but they in fact defeated all of their enemies, including Haman's sons and the people that were out to get them. So here we have these two Jewish exiles, Esther, who is made queen of Persia, and Mordecai, who is made prime minister of this empire. Esther, with, with even more boldness, enacted this national holiday to celebrate this victory, and that was called the Festival of Purim. Purim means, means lots, because Haman casted lots to select that day. This holiday is still celebrated today. And, and back in those days, the celeb annual celebration of that holiday brought, brought peace and security to the Jewish people throughout the Persian Empire. When Esther said yes to God, it, he brought transformation into her heart. And she was able to build more and more confidence and more and more courage to go the distance. What was the legacy left by Esther? It's, it said that that. That, that she enacted this holiday and also Mordecai was able to speak up for the welfare of all the descendants of the Jewish people. Esther's legacy was that by saying yes to God, the remnant of people and all their descendants were saved, further setting up the stage for the preservation of, of God's people and possibly for the, the, the future coming of the Messiah, Jesus you see, Esther realized that she wasn't just in the wrong place at the wrong time or the right place at the right time. She was in God's place in God's time. I know for many of us, 
Maybe you're in a, in a situation right now where, where you are in God's place and in God's time. And you're faced with a situation where you have influence and there's an opportunity in front of you. And you're thinking about it and you, re- you realize that if you don't do something, if you don't take action to the thing that, that God is calling you to do, then no one else will. I know for Jody and my, myself, many years ago, uh, back I think in 2015, we were asked to lead this, this, this conference, this, this ministry conference for, for young South Asian Christian ministry leaders. And I've you know, gone to this conference many times as, as a young adult and has helped me uh, so much. So I thought, you know what, maybe I should give back. And, and, and someone asked, asked us to, to put this conference on in New Jersey. And we thought about it, and first we're like, no way. We've never, we don't have any experience. We've never put on a conference, let alone a national conference. But we thought about it, and we prayed about it, and then we felt that God was calling us to do this. But we had nothing going for us. We had no church supporting us, no ministry or organization backing this, uh, not that much of a budget, but we had to put together this conference. And we prayed and we realized that if we did not step up to the plate, no one else would, and this would not happen. So we took a step of faith. We made phone calls. We, we worked our networks and connected people and, and had coffees and lunches with people and started making connections and, and found sponsors and, and put together the, this conference miraculously with a, with a group of random volunteers that we found from, from all kinds of places that, that were able to help out. And because of that conference, so many partnerships and ministry were able to be formed. So many relationships between young ministry leaders were formed. And new networks and new ministries were able to be started. New people decided to go into ministry and further God's kingdom because of that. Jody, now we will never know the ripple effects in God's kingdom for setting up that conference on, on this side of eternity. But we realized that if we did not step to the plate, no one else would. I know for many of us who are struggling right now being in this pandemic, it's been a huge disruption to our lives, our school, the the normal rhythms of what we're going through, like like our our normal life events like weddings and funerals. And you might say that, that the circumstances have put you in the wrong place at the wrong time. And you might think that the, that the timing of all this is disastrous. And, and you might say, you know what? This is not what I had planned for my life in this moment of time. But what you might think is the wrong place at the wrong time may in fact be the right place at the right time or better yet. This may be God's place and God's time. What is God calling you to do? What is God calling you to do? If you are a child of God, you remember your identity. If you are a child of God, you remember that your life is written into God's master plan. If you are a child of God, you know that he has created you in his image to be unique, to have a unique set of experiences, skills, influence, and opportunities to act. 
So what risk is God calling you to do right now? What is, what is it that he's put on your heart and called you to do at this moment in time? You know what it is. I don't know what it is, but you know what that is. There are some moments in life where you are given a short window of opportunity. Is that time now? Has God called you? Maybe it, it, it's to, to start a new business. Or maybe it's to start a new ministry. Or maybe is, is, it, to, is it to finally speak directly to a person and, and, and talk to them and confront them about something. Maybe it is for you to go talk to a counselor or a pastor or seek help from a friend on an issue that you're dealing with in your life. Maybe it's to, to mend a relationship. Or is it to follow a calling that he's placed deep in your life? Or is it to turn away from your sin and addiction and to turn in obedience to God? Or is it to get ready for battle, to fast and to pray like never before and to take a risk to rise up in faith? What is God calling you to do at this place and this time? What if you were called to be here in this place at this time for such a time as this? Esther gave God her yes and took a risk. Will you give God your yes? Will you give, give God your risk, your yes and take that risk today? You see, Mordecai told Esther that if she didn't rise up, she would end up dying, but that God would use someone else to save the Jewish people. Don't give your moment to someone else. My challenge to you as we close, church, is this. Rise up, church. Rise up. Rise up, church. Wake up, oh sleeper. If you have been sleeping in faith and in the mundane for years, if you are someone that's been just going through life in faith with, with a lukewarm faith and, and just been complaining about things that have been going on in your life, if you have been believing the false identity that, that Satan has put on you and you're living a lie, and if you have been believing that your life has no meaning and no purpose, thinking that you are unqualified and just going through the motions, it is time to wake up. Wake up, church. Right now, we are going through a global pandemic, social unrest, economic unheaval, and people are struggling. People in our communities and our families and our country are struggling. They are going through emotional isolation, spiritual darkness, relational brokenness, anxiety, and depression. If there was ever a moment for the church to rise up for a moment, the time is now, and it's time to seize the moment right now. If you are a child of God, we believe that this pandemic is not just about just some inconvenience that we have to face, but rather it is a kairos moment. It is a moment for in God's place and God's time for us to act right now. This now is a time for revival. God has placed us here for such a time as this to be the salt, to be the light. There is nothing else in this world that can transform hearts like the kingdom of God. It is our only hope. Will you say yes to God today? Like Esther, each time you say yes to God, 
God comes and does a deeper level work of sanctification in your life. He changes your nature. He makes you more bold. He gives you more confidence. He makes you more empowered and transformed to step out and take action now. I'm asking you, church, to make that decision today. You are here for such a time and place as this. Will you say yes and give God your yes? What we're going to be doing now is we're going to be moving into a time of worship. And as we worship, I want you to think about what is that one thing that, that God has been calling you to do? What is the calling that he's placed on your heart and on your life? And he's asking you, you in this place, in this time, to step out in faith. Would you give that to him? As we worship, just open up your heart. Would you give that yes and decide that there is no going back? Let's worship together. I want to thank you, Plant Church, for worshiping. Today is the day for action. Today is the day to make a decision. If you made that decision to say yes and to, to step forward in, in boldness and in faith in God, I want you to let us know. Let one of the pastors know. Let one of your friends know so that we can walk through this together. This is a time, this is the place that God had ordained for us, that he's ordained for revival, for such a time as this. Will you give God your yes so that we step forward in faith and we move his kingdom forward together?